choir. Uh, Listen, if you've got your Bible, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 4. We are uh, in a uh, an odd passage of Scripture, but I think it's going to make sense as we work our way through it. We're actually going to look at two different passages this morning. This is our Thanksgiving service here at IBC, and it feels already kind of weird that it's this time of year again. Thanksgiving is this week. Uh, the Christmas and New Year's is just right around the corner. And um, I know that there are a lot of emotions when it comes to the holidays, when it comes to the things that we get together and celebrate. Hopefully, uh, most of those are good emotions, uh, but not always, right? We have some, uh, we have some stressors. We have some hard things that we've got to go through. I, I read an article this week from Harvard Medical School about uh, managing your emotions through the ho- holidays. And this is what it says. It says that we are to, quote, adjust your expectations, narrow your focus, Opt out if you want to and harness the holiday spirit. In other words, according to this article, the best way to protect yourself and your mental health through the holidays is to focus on what will get you through, smile and wave. If all else fails, just leave, right? That's all they said. Like, Merry Christmas, everybody. We, we got enough. We can leave from here. It's the craziest thing. And I'm not, I'm not poking fun because I realize that sometimes the holidays are very hard, right? It, it, we reminder of those that we've lost, maybe even of time that we've lost, uh, it can be a very stressful season of extended family, uh, get-togethers and financial stress and uh, have-tos instead of get-tos. And so I don't want the next few weeks to be defined by those emotions. I'd rather us kind of allow our hearts to lead and, and over the next few weeks really be blanketed with a very deep layer of thankfulness. Thankfulness for your family, for the life that God has given you. Thankfulness for the highs and the lows of this past year because we've all experienced both, right? We've had really, really high highs and really, really low lows. Thankfulness for the pause, just to be able to reflect on all that God's been able to do in your life. Thankfulness for the hope that we have in Him. And and when we change this mindset into the holidays with, with thankfulness, then then, like I said earlier, our hearts lead instead of our heads. And no longer is it a burden uh, getting together with everybody. It should be a blessing. No longer is it keeping up with the Joneses type of mentality. It's just a thankfulness for what God's given you, right? And no longer is it a focus on what you've lost. It's a focus on what you've been given. And so as we move into this thought this week. I want us, uh, obviously, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that here in just a few moments. moments. Uh, But I want us to look at two kind of interesting passages of Scripture that talk about giving thanks, but both in two separate perspectives, two really polarizing perspectives. So, Revelation 4, you've got, you've got that, that here. here. Um, this, this is one of my, one of my most favorite, favorite passages, passages of Scripture. This is John getting his vision of the throne room of heaven. If we had time, I would preach uh, an hour just on the first few verses in, in, in John chapter 4. He, he talks about starting off in verse 2 saying, At once I was in spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone setting on it. And that is a powerful statement in itself. That in all of heaven, the center of heaven is a throne, and somebody's sitting on it, 
and it's none of us, right? We, we are not in charge of creation, uh, that there is someone already sitting on that throne, uh, and, and that's enough of a message that we should be able to just walk away and go, this, this, that's enough for today, right? There's someone seated on the throne. And then he begins to describe things, and as he's describing them, we have to remember when we read, especially the book of Revelation and, and John's vision of, of heaven, we have to remember that John is seeing things that no one else has ever seen. He's trying to describe things, um, using human words to describe things that are beyond our imagination. The only way I can describe this adequately is I, I remember, and I think maybe I've, I've told this, it's a long time ago, uh, I was... I think 19, 20 years old, um, and I went to Africa for three weeks. Uh, this was right over 9-11. Uh, we, we were one of the few planes in the air when the, when the towers fell, and, and we were in between Amsterdam and Nairobi, uh, Kenya. And, uh, and so when we landed, the whole world was different. And uh, we had an opportunity to go around. We stayed for three weeks. It was just an incredible experience, and... and uh, and I remember we went to a school, a Compassion International school. Uh, if, you've, if you're familiar with Compassion International, you can sponsor kids. It gives them medical care and, and food for their whole family. And it also allows them to attend school and, and learn about the gospel and learn about who God is. And so we got to go to a Compassion school. It was incredible. Uh, all these little kids running around. And they had this school, they have different colors. And so this school was purple. They had purple sweaters on and purple uh, pants and skirts and all this kind of stuff. And these kids were just so excited to see uh, anybody. And so we got to speak to them. And uh, my brother-in-law and I were the only two uh, that went. And so Brian gets up. And Brian's 6'6". And he's real country. And he talks with a real hard accent. And, uh, and all these kids, they told us, all these kids speak English, and so you can just get up, you don't have to have an interpreter. Well, about three minutes into his talk, they needed an interpreter because they couldn't understand him at all. And so Brian teaches for a little bit and then uh, nods over to me, and it's my turn. And so I stand up in front of this group of, of kids and teenagers and adults, and uh, there was probably about three or 400 uh, kids in this room, and, and, and I started telling the story in my very... Uh, green and uh, wholesome self about wakeboarding and about how that's what I did and I would uh, I was talking about how we were out and we were wakeboarding and this and this and this and I could just see it on the faces of these kids they had no idea what I was talking about and I stopped in the middle I went you guys don't know what wakeboarding is do you and one of the interpreters looked at me and shook his head and I said okay, imagine a boat on water with a rope on the end of it, and I'm holding on for dear life. And they all still had no idea what I was talking about. And I thought, i got to change my analogy. And so I said, forget all that, and I went somewhere else. It's almost like John is trying to describe uh, wakeboarding to African kids as, as much as he's trying to describe heaven to us. Okay? We, we can't even wrap our minds around the things that he's seen. We can't wrap our heads around even our imagination. So he says things like, he saw things like this. And in the next couple of verses, he says that, that there was one seated on the throne. He had the, he had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, right? He had this look, there was a, like a rainbow encircling the throne. He says, there's 24 little thrones that surround the main throne, and there are 24 elders sitting on those thrones. And then he says, he starts describing these four living creatures. And 
And he says this, talking about how one has a face of an ox, the other has a face of uh, a, uh, a lion, another one has an eagle, and one has a face of a man. And he's, he's just trying to describe what these things look like. So he says they all have six wings and they're covered in eyes. You guys remember this if you've read this before. It's just this really odd creature that are all flying around the, the throne. And, and the whole time they are there, they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And John's giving us this, this incredible scene that's being played out in front of him in the best way he can give it to us. And then he says this, Revelation 4, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks... To him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. These living creatures, these kind of strange heavenly beings give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. And like, real talk, I get the elders I can understand that. I can wrap my head around that. The Bible never tells us who the elders are. There's lots of speculation. I personally lean into the thought that I, I think it could be. It could be the 12 apostles and the 12 tribal heads of the Old Testament, uh, Israel's sons. Uh, I, I believe that would be kind of apropos. I think it would fit. I think it would be really neat, a picture of an Old Testament, New Testament surrounding the throne of God. But we don't know, right? We can just assume. We can just guess. Either way, I get the elders worshiping and giving thanks, specifically if they are the apostles and the tribal heads. If you, as a matter of fact, if you were to keep reading in Revelation chapter 11, verse 16 and 18, it tells us that the elders fell down on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And so it, it makes sense. It's like they're saying, listen, finally, it's time for Jesus to reign and rule and power. Like this totally makes sense for their worship. But the living creatures... These things with six wings that are flying around. Like the cynical side of me says, what do they have to be thankful for? I mean, they're not redeemed. They're not in need of salvation. They have not been rescued from sin and shame. They have the coolest job ever. They can fly around and they worship God 24-7. Why are they giving thanks? But if you keep reading in John or in Revelation chapter 4, John tells us why they're thankful. Verse 11 says this. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, they being plural, the, the elders and the creatures, say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You created everything. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Meaning, by his will alone, all of creation exists. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that, that our view of God is way too small. 
that we like to limit God's creative power to the things that we can see and that we can experience and the things that we can uh, kind of tangibly be a hold of. And, and, and sometimes we kind of narrow God's creative power down to we humans being the epicenter of his creation. And, and the Bible specifically says, especially in the Old Testament, it uses a Hebrew word called segulot. It's my favorite Hebrew word ever. It just means that we are his treasured possession. That we are essentially the apple of his eye. We are his, his most treasured thing he, he ever created. But the whole of universe is his creation. Right? Everything that we can even begin to imagine, he created. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or powers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made that has been made. Psalm 8, three verse, three, verse 3 and 4. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. All of creation sings the praises of its creator, which means if we are here, if you are alive and have life and breath, then you have reason to give thanks. Scripture doesn't say when life is easy or when things go the way that you want them to, then we can be thankful. It literally says because we have life, we are thankful. One commentary I read said this, Thus rise forever harmonious, thankful songs of the redeemed in heaven. Would we on earth do like them? Let our praises be consistent, not interrupted, united, not divided, thankful, not cold and formal, humble, not self-confident. We have reason to be thankful simply because we have life. Another commentary said, no one can contemplate this vast and wonderful universe without seeing that he who made it is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Simply put, if the heavenly creatures give thanks simply for their existence, then shouldn't we who have been saved be thankful for so much more? And I know on one level you go, of course, Matt, of course we are. We, we set aside Thanksgiving to be thankful. We, we talk about it in, in our families, maybe even around the dinner table. We, we, we kind of go around and say the things that we're thankful for. And, and I realize that I may not have everything that I want, but I have everything that I, I need. I, I'm thankful for what I do have. We can count our blessings. We can get recentered. Uh, we can do all the things that we're supposed to do. But the reality is, most of the time, we are focused on what we don't have instead of being grateful for what we do have. 
We live in a world that demands consumption, right? We are consumer-driven. We, well, we, we have desires and wants, and, and, and those desires and wants turn into envy and, and, and jealousy. And my challenge for us today is to simply live thankful. Live thankful for your existence, thankful for the life and the breath and the blessings and the hard times, thankful for salvation and and the sacrifice of salvation. See, we have to change our hearts from being focused on what we don't have to being thankful for what we've been given. This is the picture of Revelation chapter 4 is that all of creation in heaven is just thankful for the Creator. And when we think about all that we've been given, especially those of us who are in Christ, right? The Bible talks about our our union with Christ, that He is in us and we are in Him. And and because of that in Christ statement of, of Scripture, we have everything we need to be thankful for. Now, if you've got your Bible, flip over to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 is a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. It's going to lead us right into uh, the Lord's Supper. But let's set the scene as we, as we look into it. At the beginning of Mark 14, it's a long chapter. A lot of things happen in Mark 14. Uh, these, we're a few days out from the Passover festival. Uh, if you keep reading, Mary comes and, and breaks the seal of her alabaster jar of perfume and anoints Jesus, right? We remember that, uh, that very expensive anointing of Jesus. And in verse, verse 10, um, Mark tells us about Judas plotting uh, with a chief priest to capture Jesus. And then verse 12, we start seeing Jesus tell the disciples to go prepare for the Passover meal. What to get, where to go, all that good stuff, right? And then uh, if we keep reading, we'll pick up a very interesting note of what Jesus does. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 22 through 25. While they were eating, this is the Passover meal, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. He said to them, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. I love this moment here because this is Jesus, the Son of God, stopping in what is a very powerful moment and offering a prayer of thankfulness. Jesus did this a number of different times. If you read through the Gospels, you're going to see him uh, stop and give thanks. But all the other mentions of Jesus stopping and praying are a little different than this one. It's, there's someone or something they're trying to draw attention back to God uh, in. But in this one, I believe, is bigger than all of those. Obviously, the setting is a little different. We're not outside of Lazarus' tomb we're, we're not on a mountainside where we're about to feed a lot of people. This one's a little heavier. They, remember, they just shared the Passover meal. Passover meal, let's go back. Let's, let's kind of think back to this. I'm, I'm going to read some passages of Scripture. If you want to turn there, you can. Exodus chapter 12. Uh, this is where uh, the first Passover meal is taking uh, place. 
And, and, and the Bible says this in verse 3, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. It gives us some instruction. Verse 5, The animal you choose must be a year-old male without defect. And you may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of their door frames in the houses where they eat the lamb. Verse 8 through 11, he gives them instructions on how to eat it and how to prepare it and all that good stuff. And then verse 12, he says, On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So we have this lamb, this perfect, spotless sacrifice that pays the ultimate price so its blood can cover the family inside and protect them from the judgment of God on Egypt. And then we come back to Mark chapter 14. And Jesus just ate this remembrance meal, something they did every year to commemorate the Passover, recalling the events that took place thousands of years earlier. And he stops and he thanks God. Not for the remembrance of this meal. Not for the passing over of the angel of death. They've already celebrated that. He thanks God for getting to be the sacrifice. Jesus stops and he breaks bread and he thanks God for his body that's about to be broken for us. And he thanks God for his blood that's going to be spilled out for us. It's incredible. This, if, if this would have happened at the very beginning of the Passover meal, we would have connected it back to the Passover thought. But they've already eaten that. And now he's doing something brand new. Jesus knew from the very beginning what his purpose was. And in this moment, he knew that there was going to be a day that he was going to be crucified on the cross, that he was going to pay the penalty of sin and death and redeem every believing man, woman, and child on this planet. He knew what was going to happen? And in Mark 14, we see him thank God for allowing him to fulfill that purpose. For allowing him to hang on a cross and die for you and for me. Jesus, in his foreknowledge, knew the agony he was going to endure. He knew how hard of a thing it was in front of him. And he thanked God for it anyway. Gives us this incredible example that we get to thank God for the sacrifice and he thanks God for being the, th- the sacrifice. How on earth can we witness this and read this and not be thankful for the one who stood in our spot? 
How can we experience salvation and the forgiveness of sin and the mercy and the grace of the Father and through the sacrifice of the Son and not live a life that is truly thankful? How can we be bitter and judgmental or angry and and unforgiving? How can we enter a season like we're about to enter with an attitude anything other than thankfulness? It's because of Him that we exist. It's because of Him that we are here And it's because of him that we have this hope of eternal life. That that there's nothing, if nothing else, we have that to be thankful for. If the living creatures can thank him for their existence and Jesus himself can thank him for the sacrifice that he became for us, then we who are recipients of both of those things should be thankful for all. Here's my last thought, and I'm going to wrap this up, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. When we remember uh, all that he's done for us and remember the sacrifice that he's made, we are, and really, hopefully, in every word, thankful. We're drawn to that thankfulness. There's multiple names for what we're about to take. You know, we call it the Lord's Supper. Maybe you've heard it as uh, the Last Supper or Communion or Mass, depending on your religious background. Breaking of Bread or the Eucharist. That sounds a very Catholic word, but it's not. What's so great about both of our passages this morning, both Revelation chapter 4 and Mark chapter 14, is the word thanks that's used. Both the living creatures and Jesus himself gave Thanks. And that thanks is the Greek word Eucharisto. It's it's literally what we call this meal we're about to share. So when we call it the Eucharist, it's not that's not a not like a Methodist thing or a Catholic thing or a Baptist. It's not a, it's not a denominational thing. It's just a Greek word that we use that's the exact same word that the heavenly creatures and that Jesus himself used. To describe their attitude of thanks. This moment is bigger than just the juice and the bread. It's a reminder of the sacrifice, the body and the blood of Jesus. The life that we now have because of his sacrifice for us. This is a holy moment of remembrance and thankfulness. Before we enter into that, I want to give us a moment to do some self-evaluation. If you've, if you've read this before, if you've been here before, I read this each time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 says this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So when we come to this table, we come with humble hearts, with an attitude of remembrance and thankfulness, and we come confessing that we are not worthy to to have the salvation that we have. And so here's what we're going to do. We, I'm going to let you stay seated. Uh, I'm going to ask Miss Ruth if she'll just play something real quickly. And we're going to just pause for a moment. And we're going to do exactly what Scripture tells us. We're going to examine ourselves before we eat and drink. 
We're having a moment of invitation, and this invitation really is, is, a, is kind of a centered-in invitation this morning to, to say maybe we haven't been thankful for the things that we should be thankful for. Maybe we've been griping and complaining about the things that we don't have instead of being focused on the things that we do have in Him. Maybe we've just been so stressed and so pulled and so frazzled that we've not even really stopped to think about what this coming weeks really means. Maybe for some of us, it's been a long time since we've really just stopped and thanked God for what we have. What we have, not just materially and physically, but what we have spiritually in Him and the promise that we have and the hope that we have of eternal salvation. Maybe, maybe for some of us, it's just been something we've been taking for granted for a long time and we've never really connected the dots on. So this morning, I'm going to pray and we're going to keep our head down and our eyes closed and we're just going to have a moment to just center ourselves. If you have questions and you want to ask me, then this is the perfect time. You can come forward. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. Maybe you just need to stop and, and, and grab a hand of somebody you love and just pray with them and say, let's get focused on what really matters. Let's begin to really give thanks like these creatures and like Jesus did for, for this real life blessings of God. I'll pray. You guys evaluate, and then we'll come back and share this meal. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you for these two examples in Scripture of giving thanks, and we thank you for all the things that we take for granted. God, we kind of blow in and blow out of church service sometimes where we're just so distracted and we're so pulled that we don't really ever stop and realize what we're doing. So, Father, for that, we are confessing and we're sorry. This morning we come with thankful hearts for the sacrifice that you became for us. That the Son would, would literally stop and be thankful for what he was about to endure not because he was looking forward to it, but because he was looking forward to the result of it. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. God, forgive us for just taking you and your grace and your mercy for granted. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't understand why Jesus would endure the things he endured for our salvation, I pray they would ask. This moment, Father, it's a moment of our reflection. It's a moment for you to speak truth to our heart. God, help us be confessive in this moment. And Father, let us come to the table this morning with pure hearts and clean hands.